Hey, let's start in the beginning. Let's go to the Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. This is called The Call of Abraham. I'll read it out to you. First four verses or so. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So here you have God who says to Abraham, Bro, I have got the most unbelievable plan for your life. It's just going to blow your mind. You are going to be the father of a great nation. Your name is going to be known all around the world. I will make your name great. You will be blessed, and through you, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. Like, wrap your head around that. He says, every single person on the planet that is alive today or will ever live will be blessed because you lived. In fact, I hold you in such high regard that the way people treat you will determine how I treat them. Can you imagine that? God says to you, the way that people treat you will determine how I treat them. If they are nice to you, I will be nice to them. If they are mean to you, you don't want to be them. How people treat you will determine how I treat them. This is a big plan that God has got for Abraham, yeah? I'm going to refer to him as Abraham throughout this, even though he's not technically called Abraham yet. His name gets changed later, but we'll just call him Abraham. He says, but there's a couple of things that I need you to do first, Abraham. Before you can step into the plans that I have for you, there's a few things I need you to step out of. Before you can enter in, you need to exit a couple of things. Before you can go, you need to leave. I was down here during the week. Uh, having a chat with God about some bits and pieces. And I was like, God, you know, speak it on Sunday. Please help, uh, which I always do. Uh, I do a lot of public speaking. I, do, I emceed an event down in Ashburton the other day. 8,000 people there. Doesn't phase me. Speaking to 100 people here phases me. Because there is a weight that comes with standing up the front in church and saying, this is what I think God is saying. Well, you don't want to get that wrong. Even if what you say is still good, if it's not the right time to say it, it's still not awesome. So I feel a huge weight when I speak. So I'm always like, God, help. Uh, as far as I'm aware, looking back over my life, there's only one Sunday where I felt afterwards that God was like, that was wrong. And it was a horrible feeling. I never want to experience it again. So I was down here during the week, kind of desperate. And I'm like, God, you know, what's your plan for our church? And what do you want me to talk about? And there was no one here. And all the lights were off. And I had music playing through the speakers using the church's power. And it was awesome. I had, you know, Bethel on and Hillsong and stuff. And I'm going hard. Glad that the lights are off so no one can see me. And this word starts to bubble up inside me. And I just can't get this word down. It keeps popping up. And I start saying this word out loud. And I'm like, God, is this what your plan is for us this year? And I'm kind of like feeling that it is. And so this word keeps coming up. And this is a word that I feel is for us as a church family, for Thrive as a church. But it's also a word that you can take home and you can apply it to your life personally. You can apply it to your personal situation. Um, and so if there was one word that I could use to sum up where I think we're heading in 2015, it was this word that kept coming up. It is the word more. 
more, M-O-R-E, more. And I started saying it out loud, more, more, more. You know, there's more, there's more, there's more. And God just started saying there's so much more for you guys in 2015. I believe there's a grace on 2015 for you to step into something that is bigger and larger and more intense than anything you've ever stepped into before. For us as a church, we're going to experience more this year than in previous years combined. Okay, for you as an individual, as a family unit, you can experience more this year than in previous years combined. You can experience more increase in the next 12 months than you've got in the last five, six, seven years put together. There's a grace on 2015 for more. God said, there's more. Whatever you want, guys. He said, whatever you want, there is more. Come on, do you want more? All right? He said, there's more healing. There's more miracles. There's more breakthrough. There's more finances. There's more revelation. There's more vision. All of that is available to you as a church. For you as families, he says, there's more intimacy. There's more peace. There's more joy. There's more grace. There's more mercy. There's more of everything that you want. There's a grace on it for 2015. If you want it, it is there for you. But he said, you have to leave some things behind. So I thought, why don't we look at the three things that God told Abraham to leave behind and apply them to our life. Is that cool? All right. If you're taking notes this morning, and I'm going to say this without looking at you, I'm reading a book at the moment by Richard Branson. He's massive on taking notes. Whenever I think of taking notes, I always think of Lynn. I've never seen Lynn in a meeting anywhere, anytime in the 13, 14 years I've known her where she's not taking notes. Do you think it's any coincidence that, Liz, that Lynn is the, the woman that she is today? She takes so many notes. You've got books at home, don't you? You've got just books at home filled up with notes. Lynn can pull out a word that was given to somebody else four or five years ago and go, this is what God said about you. I wrote it down. Absolutely amazing. If you don't take notes, all the research tells you, you will remember 7% of what I say this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that doesn't seem like a good return on my time. Your time is what I mean. You've come to church, you're sitting here, you're going to sit here for the next 20 minutes. If you're not taking notes, you'll remember approximately 90 seconds of what I say. So, I would just suggest, if it's not a habit that you have so far, the good news is you can create good habits. Taking notes is a fantastic habit. Richard Branson walks around with a notepad in his breast pocket. Anytime he thinks of anything, pulls it out, writes it down, always taking notes. Um, I take notes on my phone sometimes, but I've decided after hearing that stat, that I'm going to start taking notes in a book like Lynn does. I want to be just like Lynn. (laughs) Or I'll just copy Lynn's notes after she's taken them. (laughs) Yeah, you know. So everyone that's not taking notes, just give Lynn a call and say, can you email me the notes from Josh's message? Because she'll have them all written down. So I'll just throw that out there. You know, I was getting grumpy one day. I was like, oh, you know, speak in church. No one ever takes notes. I don't remember 90 seconds of what I say. And then I heard John Maxwell. And he was speaking in his, you know, South American drawl, and he's like, you know, whenever I go into church and I see people not taking notes, I know one thing. And I'm like, here we go. John's going to give it to me. He says, they're not used to having good speakers. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, John, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, But, you know, we should be a church that's just, when a guest speaker comes in, the whole church is like, pad open. What have you got? It'd be awesome. Anyway. Um, all of our speakers, not just guest speakers, yeah, <laughs> all of our speakers. Um, plus, it also forces us as speakers to go, oh, they're going to be writing down what I say, it better be good. You're going to get better quality. Three things that I think that we need to leave behind if we want to step into the more of God. 
uh, that he's got for us this year. The first thing that God said to Abraham is, leave your country. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to up and leave. <laughs> okay. You guys can go. We've got a few people that have left. And hey, can you take me seriously, please? Come on. Leave your country. What the country represents in the text is Abraham's comfort, familiarity. It's what he knows. Abraham, you know, he, when the call first came to Abraham, we'll get into that in a minute, but when it first came to Abraham, he was in his homeland where he was born. He grew up there. He knew the language. He knew the people. He knew the food. He knew the climate. He knew the land. It was his country. It was home. It was familiar to him. And God came to him and said, I want you to leave comfort and step into uncomfort. I want you to leave familiar and step into unfamiliar. I want you to leave what you know and I want you to step into the unknown zone. If you want to experience all that God has for you, you must be prepared to leave your comfort zone. Everything, everything that God has in store for you is outside your comfort zone. Otherwise, you would already have it. Because we are by nature all the same. And if we can get it comfortably, we'll get it. If it's uncomfortable, then we won't. But here's the fact. The comforter that Jesus sent us when he left lives in the uncomfortable zone. Because that is where he is needed. You don't need the comforter when you're comfortable. You need the comforter when you're uncomfortable. So the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call him, he lives in the uncomfortable zone. You must be prepared to get uncomfortable. You must be prepared to step into the unknown. That everything. I saw a post from Chris Vallotton just this morning on Facebook. Everything in God is on the other side of fear. It's no coincidence that Lynn got up a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, one of the words for this year is courage. Eric Johnson prophesied that as well at the start of the year, 2015, the year of courage. Do you know why that excites me? Because courage can only exist in the uncomfortable zone. You don't require courage to do the same thing you've always done. You don't require courage to just live the same old, same old. You don't require courage in the comfortable zone. You only need it in the uncomfortable zone. So if that is being released to us as Christians this year, courage, it means that God's plan is for you to need courage which is only found in the uncomfortable zone. You've got to be prepared to get uncomfortable. What I want you to do, some homework for you, all you people taking notes, otherwise talk to Lynn. Um, it's going to be a practical message. Is that all right? Practical. Not the sort of message that you go, that was a cool message, go home and forget about it. There's work for you to do. Task one this week, go home, write down all of the things that make you uncomfortable. Everything you can think of. Praying for people. Oh, ugh. When I come to church and Glenn says, put up your hands if you're sick, and then he says, turn around and pray for the person with their hand up, I'm just like, Bleh. If that's you, because it's uncomfortable, write it down. When people ask me, what did you do on the weekend? I just carefully leave out that I went to church. Oh, I played sport, I did this, and then went to the beach on Sunday afternoon. Just leave out you went to church, because it makes me uncomfortable. Write it down. You know, People come around to your house for dinner, and you forget to say grace, even though you do it most nights. Write it down. There's no right or wrong. I just write down what makes you uncomfortable. Everybody will have a different list. It doesn't all have to be Christian related. Heights. Heights make me uncomfortable. Write it down. You know, looking people in the eye when I go to the supermarket. Oh, I was so glad when they introduced self-service checkouts because I didn't have to talk to the checkout person. You know, like write that down. Smiling at people. 
makes me uncomfortable. Write it down. Write down everything you can think of and then say to God, God, on this list here, where would you like me to start? What's one or two things, God, that are in my uncomfortable zone that you would like me to step into? The best way to picture it is imagine a big circle, you're in the middle, that's your comfort zone. All these things that you've written down are outside the circle. It's like, God, where am I going to step out? And don't panic that you need to step out and that's it forever. The way that it works is you step out, you, you, know, you do a few things, and then you're back in again. And you step out and you do a few things, and you're back in again. And every time you step out and you step back in and you go, I survived. I'm all right. It didn't kill me. You know? So you've got to leave that behind. You're on board with that? All right. The second thing that God said to Abraham he had to leave behind, he said, leave your people. Now, this isn't, you know, a secret message coded. This is just basic. When you want to move forward with God, you need to look at your circle of friends, the people that you are hanging out with. One of my favorite quotes is, show me your friends and I will show you your future. The Bible says it this way, he who walks with the wise becomes wise but a companion of fools suffers harm. All of the studies that have ever been done around you know, relationships will tell you that you will become the sum total of the five or six people that you spend the most time with. The Bible breaks people into three categories. In Proverbs, it breaks people into the wise, the foolish, and the wicked. So your second piece of homework is to go home and write down a list of every single person you know. Every single person that you come into contact with on a semi-regular basis, whatever it might be, they tell us that the average person knows 250 people. If you died today, the average person would get 250 people that felt like they knew you well enough to come to your funeral. So you should have approximately 250 people that you could write down. Christians should have more because we are in more relationships. But you write them all down. And then what you do is you say, God, who in these people do you want me to be spending more time with? Who are the wise people? If the Bible says he who walks with the wise becomes wise, who are the wise people? Who are the people that think the way you want me to think, that live the way you want me to live, that act the way you want me to act? Who are the people that if I spend more time with, I will become more like and that's who you want me to be? And ask him to show you who those people are and don't prejudge because what you'll do is you'll start thinking, well, that person's got an awesome looking life and that person's got an awesome looking life. But it's not just about what they have, it's about what they carry. And you might not know what that is. And what you need could be different to what you think you need. So you've got to do it with God. You've got to do it with the Holy Spirit. Wise people, we all want to be wise people. You know how you can tell if a person is wise? Is if, that you, if you give a wise person feedback that might not be overly enjoyable, a wise person will accept what you say and change. You know, you read through Proverbs, it's constantly telling you how a wise person responds to criticism. A wise person is always saying, wow, I didn't realize that. Thanks for pointing it out. I'm going to go away and work on myself. A wise person has an attitude of constant personal growth, constant development, always striving to be a better person, to learn more, to know more, to love more, to give more. That's a wise person. The next category is a foolish person. Now, a foolish person is not a bad person. They're just someone who doesn't have that mindset. When you say to a foolish person, hey, look, I think you could have done this better, they're like, well, that's your opinion, but I'm quite happy. Thank you. A foolish person does not have a personal growth development you know, mindset. They don't want to grow. They don't want to improve themselves. They're quite happy where they are. Thank you very much. The problem is that if you surround yourself with those types of people, you will never grow. 
because they don't want to grow. So ask God, look God, is there anyone in my life that's potentially holding me back a little bit from who you want me to be? And again, trust God to point those people out to you. And they're the people you're going to spend a little bit less time with. And that's practical. If you're spending more time with some people, you have to spend less time with others. You know, if you're looking to improve your, yourself and you want to spend more time with some people, you're going to have less time left, unless you know how to invent time. So that's pretty basic. And don't stress about people noticing that you're spending less time with them. To be honest, if you start looking to grow yourself and change, they're going to not want to hang around with you anyway because there's nothing that a foolish person that annoys them more than people who want to change and want to grow and want to improve themselves. Especially if you were both on the same level when you started and all of a sudden you're starting to grow and you're talking about all these things you're discovering and it just they just get annoyed. Um, so they're foolish people. Just really quickly going back to the wise thing, five or six people they say, not one. So don't pick one person and then ring them up and be like, hey, I did that list thing that Josh told me to and um, God told me to come to you so every night I'd like to catch up with you I want you to mentor me. Like it's, you know, five or six different people. And what you've got to really hope, I was thinking about this, is you've got to really hope that they haven't made the same list and that you're one of their foolish people. Because <laughs> otherwise they'll be like, well, you know, God told me I've got to spend less time with you, so we've got a problem. But seriously, if you go to a wise person and you say, I want to become a better person, I want to grow, I want to learn, I want to know what books are you reading, how do you develop yourself, what wisdom do you have? Wise people value wisdom above anything else. And they love nothing more than someone saying, I want some wisdom, because they value it. They'll, they'll impart it, no problems. But you've got to respect their time. And then the third type of person is the wicked person. And I hope that most of you don't have too many of those on your list, but they're just straight up bad. You know, it doesn't mean that they're not going to change or that God's not going to work on them, but the Bible's very clear. You can read through Proverbs. It's got some pretty brutal stuff to say about hanging out with people that are just straight up bad. Like, they're not foolish. They're not like okay people, but just stuck in old ways. They're bad. You know, they want to just lead you into trouble. And those are the people on your list, if you've got them, that you just go, you know what, for a period of time, God, I'm just not going to have anything to do with those people. Um, the Bible says that, oh, what was the verse? I was reading it this morning. Something along the lines of, you know, it, uh, only a foolish person desires the company of wicked men or something like that. Like, if there is someone on your list that God has said, hey, that's a person that you really shouldn't be associating with right now, then trust God that that's the right thing to do because um, he knows what's best. So go home and write that list. The second thing you've got to leave behind are some relationships. Is that cool? Is that making sense? Sounds a little bit brutal, I know, but you've got to trust God on it. And then the last one, the third thing you've got to leave behind, this is my problem, uh, and I'll explain why in a second. God said to Abraham, leave your country, we've done that, leave your people, we've done that, and leave your father's household. What does that mean? This is an interesting one, because if you read Genesis chapter 12, it sounds like Abraham's a pretty good guy. God comes and says, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household. Abraham says, all right, let's go, and off he goes. And you think... What an obedient guy. What a responsible person. Did what God said. But that's, that's not what happened. That's not the full story. Because if you go to Acts chapter 7, you don't have to. I'll just go there and read it to you. Acts chapter 7 verse 2, and Stephen, who's unfortunately just about to be killed, is giving the Jews a bit of a rundown in their history. And in verse 2 he says this, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. But in Genesis chapter 12, he's not in Mesopotamia, he's in Haran. Now, what's going on there? And Stephen goes on, before he lived in Haran. 
And he said to Abraham, leave your country and your people and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. Well, that doesn't make sense. What's going on there? Do you notice what he didn't say that first time? He didn't say, leave your father's household. He just said, leave your country, leave your people. You look up that word people and it means kindred. It means family. It means everybody. It doesn't mean just leave your friends. It means leave everybody. And what happened was, if you go to verse 11, just a couple of verses before the one that I read out in verse 12, it says, together, this is Abraham and his family and his dad, it says, together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So where are they going? Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And it says, Terah, who's the name of his father, lived 205 years and he died in Haran. So here's the problem. God comes to Abraham and says to him when he's living in his homeland, hey, got this amazing plan. You need to leave your country and you need to leave your people, which is your family, everybody, and you've got to come with me. And Abraham gets 95% of the way there. He says, I'll leave my country, I'll leave everybody, but dad's coming with me. And he takes his dad and they get halfway there and then something happens and they stop and they settle. Now, if you look at the Jewish culture, this is the way I see it. Um, huge amount of honor goes to the parents. Um, and if you read the story, it, it seems obvious to me that it was Abraham's dad that was calling the shots. Because if it was Abraham that was calling, if it was Abraham that was calling the shots, he would have just carried on going. Or if he was the one that had decided to settle, he would have said, right, we're staying here, guys. Build your houses, dig your wells, plant your fields. This is where we're going to live. And then when his dad died, he would have buried his dad, and they would have carried on living there if it was Abraham's call. But if it was his dad's call, and his dad, Terah, said, right, I've had enough. This is as far as we're going. Plant your fields, build your house, dig your well. And Abraham's going, no, dad, this is not where we're supposed to be. And his dad says, hey, I'm your dad. This is what we're doing. And that was how it went down. Then what would happen as soon as his dad died? Abraham would go, we're out of here. You know, dad was the reason we were staying. Dad's died. We're out of here. And that's what happens. So I don't think it's too much of a leap to say that it was his dad that was the controlling force there. And you notice what God says the second time. He says, hey, you need to leave your country, leave your people. And just so I'm clear, leave your father's household. Like that means, you know, all of his servants, all the people that he came with them. I don't know if he had any more kids. The Bible doesn't say, but if he did, leave them behind too. Like, I want to be super clear, Abraham. You've got to leave that behind as well. And it's interesting because do you know what Abraham's father's name means? His name is Terah, and it means delay. It means the things that take you off track. It means the things that slow you down. It means the things that distract you from your purpose. That's who his dad was. And so God was saying, you need to leave behind your comfort zone, what you're familiar with, you need to step out, you need to leave behind some relationships, rearrange some relationships, be strategic about who you're hanging out with, because you cannot take people with an old mindset into a new country. And you need to leave behind the things that slow you down, that cause you to go off track, and distract you. Those are the three things. So for me, this is my biggest one. I've really started to embrace the, the uncomfortable zone thing. I'm still not enjoying it, but I'm getting better at it. I'm strategically working on relationships. If I've stopped hanging out with you, don't take it personally. <laughs> no, I haven't done too much. Um, but this is the one that sticks with me, that, that, that makes me stuff up, is I get distracted. You ask Liz, I'll start something, I'll get two-thirds of the way through it, and then I'm on to something else. 
I've started on to something else. I've started like four businesses with a combined income of one. You know, it's, that's, that's the big thing for me. So the last thing that you need to do is write your list of things that distract you. But rather than writing a list and then saying, God, what do you want me to do about this? I want you to write this list with God. I want you to ask God, what distracts me, God? What is it that is causing me to go off course, that's delaying me, that's slowing me down? And it could be something as practical as TV. Who watches TV? Okay, none of you. That's awesome. Must just be me. You know, it could be a hobby that you're just putting way too much time into. You know, it could be a business that you're, you've got too much time into. It could be anything. I don't know. It'll be different for everybody. But what I'm saying is that the things that you think are distracting you might not be those things. It could be something that you think's all good. Um, so I'll leave it there. So those are the three things. You've got to leave your comfort zone. Leave your familiar zone. Leave your known zone. Step into uncomfortable. Step into unknown. Step into unfamiliar and ask God where he wants you to start with that. You've got to redefine some of your relationships. You know, look at the people around you and go, what life do I want? You know, maybe it's not even someone that you know. Maybe there's someone that you don't know. Someone famous. I don't know. You can go, well, I can buy their books. You know, I mean, I'm, I've bought like 15 books in the last two months. You know, John Maxwell and Jim Rohn and... Um, who was the guy I said before, Richard Branson, all these people that I look at and I go, I, you know, Bill Johnson, I want what they've got. So I'm going to surround myself with them. So much free stuff on the internet, it's amazing. And then the third thing is, what distracts you? What delays you? You've got to leave that behind as well. Is that cool? All right, I'll pray and then we're all done. Okay, all right. Lord, I thank you, God, for this fantastic church. Lord, I thank you that Paper and pen appeared out of nowhere for a lot of people, which was cool. God, I thank you that you have amazing plans for us this year, for us as a church, Lord, and thrive, and for us as individuals. God, I thank you that your heart is to prosper us and to make us successful, Lord. God, I thank you that you co-labor with us, Lord, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That every single one of us, Lord, has a big purpose. Lord, you don't give small dreams, small visions, small purposes. Lord, I thank you that you are pouring yourself out on everybody. Lord, that there will be visions and dreams and encounters. Lord, I thank you that there is nothing more fulfilling than living a life, you know, hand in hand with you, Lord. Lord, I bless everybody in this place. I bless their week. Lord, I bless their time with you. In Jesus' name, amen.